Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. We are in part two of our series, Won't You Be My Neighbor? And if you missed part one last week, I would encourage you to go back. It was so, so good. And it helps set the stage for where we're at today, Um, and I'm excited about what God has for us. But the resource that we are recommending for this series is, number one, the Bible, because we're the church. But number two, um, it's a book called The Art of Neighboring, and then there's another resource called Talking to Strangers by Malcolm Gladwell that Mel mentioned last week. But uh, before we begin, I just want to pray and ask uh, God's blessing over what he wants to teach us. So pray with me. Lord, we thank you that you are here. God, we ask that you would meet us right where we are, wherever we're watching from, God. Whatever we're doing, God, I pray that you would speak to us, that my words would be your words, that you would, um, that you would help us love like you because of the, the words that we hear today from your word, from your scripture. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So the scripture that we have been looking at for this series, our main text, is the Great Commandment. And we are going to jump right into scripture today. So in Luke 10, verse 25, it says this. One day an expert in the religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So last week, um, we talked about how our neighbor is everyone. We are called to love everyone, um, no matter what the religion, no matter the race, no matter if they talk like us, believe like us, vote like us, it doesn't matter. We are actually called to love everyone. But sometimes when we have the goal to love everyone, when we seek to love everyone, um, we can actually end up loving no one. When we aim for everything, sometimes we hit nothing. And so we left asking God with this question, God, who is my neighbor? Just like this lawyer, just like this religious expert says, who is my neighbor? Show us. So I'm going to warn you, we're going to get practical today, all right? We're going to put this into reality So that's our question. Who is my neighbor? Where do we aim? Where do we start? And I think that we start with wherever we are. I think we start with wherever God has placed us, wherever we're going, whoever we're brushing shoulders with already, right? The people that we pass by at work, that we work with, the people at our schools, the clerk at the grocery store, the other parents on your child's soccer team or basketball team or whatever, who are you already passing? Who is God already putting in your path? See, one of the greatest things that I admire about Jesus and one of the biggest things he's been teaching me is to be present. And it is hard for me to be present. My mind is usually thinking of like whatever is next, whatever's coming next. What are the plans I have for myself today? What do I need to get done for me today? I can mindlessly go through the motions, but the Lord is teaching me, I want to show you something, but you need to be intentionally present. See, sometimes I'll, I'll just be working at a coffee shop, focused on what I need to do, and, 
and I'll be interrupted by someone that comes into, into the shop and they'll talk to me and I'll, I'll think in this, in my head, I'm thinking, oh, I have so much to do today. But I will realize sometimes when I let the Lord speak to me that I thought my stuff was important, but I can see that, that this is more important right now. That this, um, that this interaction is not an inconvenience, it's actually an opportunity. See, we lose sight of the fact that, that people we walk by, that people we pass by every single day are hurting, right? And we're called to love. We're called to listen, to be present. When we live presently aware of the people God has placed around us, we will see the neighbor God is asking us to love. See, I've noticed something in my 27 years of walking on this earth, 12 years of following Jesus, that sometimes we give God credit which we should, for the places that he's called us, us for the places that, that, we are, um, that we are put by him. Like, for example, we, we say, God, thank you so much for this job that you've given me. God, you've given me this job. You've given me this position to glorify you, to worship you, to, to provide for my family. God, thank you for calling me to Summit Church. I can grow in my faith here. You've brought me here. You've guided me here. Thank you so much for my family my kids that I can raise up to honor you. But there's an area of our lives, especially in our culture, that sometimes we completely dismiss. We completely avoid God's hand in it. We completely dismiss that God has placed us in this area, and that is the places that we reside, the places that we live Hardly ever, I don't know about you, hardly ever have I heard someone say, God, thank you so much that you have placed me on this street, on this cul-de-sac, in this development, to make a difference for your glory, to love the people that you have put beside me in the houses next door, in the places next door. See, missionaries will think strategically about where they live in order to have the greatest impact for their ministry. When they're deciding where they're going to live, the, the filter is not, where can I be the most comfortable? The filter is, where can I position myself so that I will have the most glory, you will have the most glory, God. See, I kind of, I think I know what you're thinking right now. Steph, that's a cute thought. <laughs> Get out of my business. I am not a missionary. But the truth is, we can't afford to not talk about this, right? You might be thinking, Steph, you can talk about the metaphorical neighbors all you want, you can talk about everybody else all you want, but don't talk about the people that live right beside me. Don't talk about those real people that live right beside me. Just talk about the metaphorical ones. But a metaphorical love for a metaphorical neighbor will metaphorically change nothing. And Mel explained last week that this, if this metaphorical definition is our default, then we may be trying to love many, but we may be loving very few we may be loving much less than we thought, so why don't we start with the most obvious neighbors in our lives, our actual neighbors. We all have them. Whether you have an apartment, whether you uh, live in the middle of nowhere, you have neighbors, it's just how far are they from you? How far is the distance, right? We put a lot of thought into the places we live, into the places we call home, where we choose to live, some good reasons, some maybe a little selfish. We want something we can afford. That's a great thing. I hope you chose something you can afford, right? We want something that's safe. We want something that's near our workplace or near our school. 
Some of us have chosen to be as far away from IUP as possible, <laughs> as far away from those party, party students as possible. Maybe you actually chose where you wanted to live um, so that you could be as far away from humankind as possible, that you could be away from your neighbors by yourself alone. We make decisions on where we live, and the home that we have is the one that God has given us, right? And even if we didn't choose where we live with our neighbors in mind, God knew. God has purposefully placed us in our neighborhoods. See, in Acts, 20, uh, Acts 17, in verse 26, it says this, From one man, Adam, he, God, God made every man and woman in every race of humanity. And he spread us all over the earth. He sets the boundaries of peoples and nations, determining their appointed times in history. He has done this so that every person would long for God, feel their way to him, and find him. For he is the God who is easy to discover. See, the truth is God has placed us beside people who need a good neighbor. He knew there may be a young boy next door who needs a father figure like you in their life. He knew there could be an overwhelmed single mom in the middle of a pandemic who needed a friend like you. A teenager who is struggling, who's depressed because of all that's going on and just needs someone. He knew who would be placed beside you. But it's more than what you have to offer, what I have to offer, give relational, relationally. God knew what we would need too. He knew that by becoming good neighbors, we'd be the people that we're supposed to be. That as a result, our communities would be the places that he intended for them to be. But the hard thing is, is there's a stark realization that is confirmed in, in this book, The Art of Neighboring, about the way that we neighbor. And it is this. From the city's perspective, there, isn't, there is not a noticeable difference in how Christians and non-Christians neighbor in our community. So why is that? Why is that? If the great commandment, if Jesus says, hey, if you're going to get one thing right, do this. Love God and love your neighbor. Why is it then that there is pretty much no difference in the way that we as Christians neighbor in our community. See, most of us, including myself up to a certain point, I didn't, I didn't even know the names. I couldn't even tell you the names of the people that lived beside me for a long time, much less any in-depth information about them. I didn't even care enough to remember their name. So go back with me to, to March of 2020, because I know that's the place that all of us want to go. <laughs> um, in March of 2020, no matter your opinion of COVID right now, in March of 2020, we were in a place where we were looking to take care of each other. We were looking to, to just care for our community. And so my role, especially during this time, but all the time, my role as missions and outreach pastor is to help the heartbeat of serving flow through our church, flow into our community, to equip and mobilize people to see needs, to meet needs, to care for people. And God, thankfully, he actually used the pandemic and the quarantine restrictions to speak to my heart. I remember wanting to do whatever we can. God, help us think of different ways to serve people. Help us have effective ways that we can serve people. We don't want to just do what everyone else is doing. We want to meet the needs that, that aren't being met right now. And so we thought of programs and we did things and had initiatives that w went well and we reached a lot of people. But I remember just being stressed and just 
thinking, God, there are, there are people, there's, people are isolated. There are people who can't go to the grocery store because they're immunocompromised or they're elderly. And there are people who, uh, kids who are not getting fed because they're not going to school. And yes, there's a feeding program, but what kids can't even get to the feeding program, right? God, how do we find these people? How do we meet these needs that we can't see? And while I was stressing and feeling responsible for not doing enough, God spoke the statement to me, love your neighbor, which I didn't understand at the time, but he's continued to be faithful to reveal more and more. See, God was showing me that transformation happens through relationship, that through relationship with God, through relationship with people in our lives, we are transformed. When you know someone that has a need versus when, when maybe you just hear about it or you hear this problem in our community. When you actually know a person that maybe is addicted versus hearing about it, it's very different, right? You know them. You've heard them. You've listened to them. You know their needs. You know how to care for them. And the truth is God shows us specific needs. No matter your role, no matter... Um, your job or, or whatever you do, God will be faithful to show you specific needs. If you are a teacher, God will show you needs in the school, needs with the students that I personally will never see because I have no relationship there. But he has purposefully placed you so that you could see those, right? See, after God spoke, love your neighbor to me, I began to read this book, The Art of Neighboring, and I was hit with the realization that our God is a genius. Who would have thought that, right? Jesus is a genius. Think about the pandemic. And if, if we would have committed to say, I'm going to love the neighbors that are closest to me during this time. If every believer would have said, I will love those who are closest to me, we would have had a community that is taken care of. There wouldn't have been as many needs for programs or for initiatives or for it to rely on a certain person to run that program. We would have been the church. We would have known, hey, hey, my neighbor Tom in the blue house, he just lost his job today. He got laid off. But I know that I can encourage him. I know that I can invite him over for dinner. I know that I can help with groceries. We would have known these things because relationships are more effective than programs because they are organic and ongoing. But how will we ever know if there's no relationship? See, at the core of it all, I have to decide, you have to decide, do I actually trust the words of Jesus? If Jesus says, do this, love God and love your neighbor, and you will live, do I actually trust that what he's saying is true? Do I trust he knows what's best for me? Do I trust he knows what's best for my family? That he'll take care of me? See, from the beginning of time, even the first humans on this planet had to ask themselves the same thing. Adam and Eve had been given commands by God in Genesis 2. It says this in verse 16. The Lord God warned them, you may eat freely of any fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. See, God's heart was the same for them as it is for us. He says, do this and you will live. Follow this and you will live. He wanted them to live fully and spiritually. He wanted them to live an abundant life, a good and meaningful life. But instead, they followed their own desires. And so we have to come face to face with a hard question. 
Will I submit to this command of God and trust the goodness of his commands? Or will I follow the desires of my own heart? Will I center my life and my priorities around the great commandment, trusting Jesus at his word? Or will I neighbor like I don't know him? Like I don't have his spirit, like I don't have his power within me? What would our community, what would the communities of this world look like right now if, we, if every believer said, I will choose to literally befriend my actual neighbors, the people that live nearest me? We have a lot of social problems in our specific community, right? We have an opioid crisis. We have abuse of all kinds. We have poverty rates. We have children in foster care and not enough homes. But what if we chose to befriend our literal neighbors? We would know those people. We would know those problems. And we would do something. See, I couldn't agree more with the excerpt in the book, The Art of Neighboring. It says this, The majority of the issues that our community is facing would be eliminated or drastically reduced if we could just figure out a way to become a community of great neighbors. The solutions to our problems in our neighborhoods are not ultimately found in government, police, or schools, or in getting more people to go to church. The solution lies within us. It's within our power to become good neighbors, to care for the people around us, and to be cared for by the people around us. There really is a different way to live, and we are finding that is actually the best way to live. So as we continue with our main text, the great commandment, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Last week, Mel walked us through the entire passage of the parable of the Good Samaritan. We left asking, just like the man who wanted to justify his actions, he asked, who is my neighbor? And so what happens next is Jesus responds with a story. He responds with a story about a Jewish man who was walking along the road and was attacked by bandits. He was beaten, he was stripped, he was left half dead. And Jesus says that two guys passed by separately. The religious elite, the priest, and the temple assistant both walked by, but they chose to do nothing. They chose to look away. But a despised Samaritan came along, whom the Jews, the Jewish man was the one who was beaten up, and the Jews would have hated Samaritans. The Samaritan was the one who chose to tend to his wounds, to use his own resources to tend to his wounds. He took the man to an inn where he could rest and heal and paid for the bill of this man's stay. He showed extreme compassion, and this would have been like an inconceivable thought for for a Samaritan man to do this for a Jewish man. It's like similar to saying that you'd be willing to care for a terrorist, that you'd be willing to care for an enemy. So Jesus asked the question, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? And it says in verse 36, sorry, I just read that one. It says in verse 37, the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. See, as we look at this, we remember what Pastor Mel shared last week. Being a good neighbor will cost you something, will cost us something. And scripture makes it clear that we need to count the cost before we start things, right? Sometimes the cost, though, can, can be barriers to living out Jesus' words. We can look at the cost and elevate them so high that we choose to be disobedient instead. The cost can keep us from, narrow, uh, from neighboring, and if we don't consider the cost, we are going to be just like this lawyer in the story who's trying to justify himself, who is trying to find a loophole in what Jesus says, this is the most important thing we could ever live out. 
So what is keeping us from being a good neighbor? There are two specific things that I want to address, the two costs of being a good neighbor, and we're going to look at the way that Jesus neighbored here on earth as we look at these things. The first is this, being a good neighbor will cost us our time. I don't know about you, but I go to sleep at night sometimes, and I'm like, wow, I wish I would have had like three more hours today. <laughs> there was not enough time for the things that I needed to get done. Oftentimes, I look at, I don't know if you do this, if you have your calendar on your phone. My calendar tells me what I'm doing. I don't tell my calendar what I'm doing, right? We are feeling oftentimes like we are running out of time. There's never been a day where I'm like, I completed everything on my to-do list today. Now I can go to sleep. There's always something more. We live in a culture that, that values production, that values results. See, technology was meant to save us time. It was meant to help us save time. Like we can now send an email while we're on the phone with someone, right? Multitasking, you, you can save time. We can fast forward through any commercial on our favorite shows that we record so we can save time. Who wants to watch commercials anyway? We can have video meetings instead of traveling across the state, across the nation for a meeting. How many of you love Zoom? <laughs> Just kidding. Um, but no matter how many time-saving devices are invented, we continue to cram more and more into our lives. We can... We can distract ourselves with things that steal our time, doing mindless things, rather than living at a healthy pace. And the Art of Neighboring talks about three lies that we believe that I think is important, they're important to talk about today. Tell me if you identify with any of these lies. First, things will settle down someday. One day, things are going to slow down. Things are going to get slower. After this election, things are going to slow down. Things are going to get better, right? There have been many retired people in my life that have told me they're more busy after retirement than before. Second is this, more will be enough. If I can just get more, then my life will be calmer. I'll be more satisfied. It'll be enough. And lastly is this, everybody lives like this. Everybody lives at this unhealthy pace. Everybody's busy. And that is just not true because some people are more healthy <laughs> and they do not live like this. So which lie have you believed? See, the good Samaritan chose to delay his journey in order to be inconvenienced. He was going somewhere. He had plans, but he chose to be inconvenienced to slow down enough to see a hurting person. People, a man that he was passing by, that he was brushing shoulders with. And my question is, can we say the same? Do we live at a pace, do we live at a pace that allows us to be present in our neighborhood? Or are we moving at a pace where we can't even see a hurting person that we walk by? And if not, are all of these things that we are doing, that we are committed to, that our schedule tells us to do, are they more important than living out the great commandment? See, author John Ortberg says this. I love this quote. It's really difficult to swallow, but I love it. Love and hurry are fundamentally incompatible. Love always takes time, and time is the one thing that hurried people don't have. See, Jesus was productive. He got some things done on his time on earth, but we never read about him and think, 
Man, he was hurried. That guy was in a hurry. Jesus often would stop his plans, stop his agenda in order to pay attention to someone who is inconveniencing or interrupting him. And Luke 8 tells of a time where Jesus was approached by a man named Jairus who said, Jesus, please come heal my 12-year-old daughter who is dying. Please come. And Jesus says yes, and he goes with Jairus. And on the way, Jesus is stopped. A small interruption. He is stopped by a woman in a crowd who has suffered 12 years of constant bleeding. And she reached out in this crowd just to touch his robe, just to touch the fringe of his robe because she thought, I could be healed if I just touched him. And Jesus, on his way, interrupted, he stops, and he welcomes the interruption. And he says, who touched me? Who was it that touched me? Not to call her out, but to be intentionally present with her, to look her in the eyes, to see this woman, and not just see her need, but see her. To see her and make her feel known. See, being a good neighbor will require us to see people, to be inconvenienced, to be interrupted. But we have to have the courage to actually eliminate and create space in our lives to actually prioritize the great commandment. We must start looking at our calendars and saying, how can I prioritize the great commandment in my life? How can I start actually loving my neighbors? We have to quit, um, we have to quit interpreting the great commandment for what we think it should be, right? For what's convenient for us, for what's our self-serving interpretation. And see our neighbors, the ones that live beside us, for who they are, our neighbors, the second thing that keeps us from neighboring is comfort. Being a good neighbor will cost us our comfort. To be honest, I, I had a great childhood experience. I know you're interested in it. I had a great childhood experience. I had great neighbors. I was, I was best friends with my neighborhood friends. We were always playing. We were always making memories, outdoors, doing things. And I remember I was actually the designated child of the family. I have two older sisters and a younger brother. And for some reason, I was the one that had to go around to my neighborhood on my little bike and knock on people's doors and ask them if they would support my fundraisers so that I could play, you know, softball or basketball. So I was the fundraiser for the entire family. And so I remember one day I'm asked to go out and knock on doors and ask people if they'll support my hoagie fundraiser or sub, however you say it here. And uh, I don't know why I said it like that, because I'm from here, but <laughs> um, I don't actually know what I say. I think I say sub. Um, but anyway, one time, I was knocking on a neighbor's door, knocked on the door, and I said, hey, uh, I'm selling subs. I wanted to see if you would want to buy one for my fundraiser. And they were like, yeah, what? 10-year-old Steph, what, 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 are you sell what kind of subs are you selling? And instead of saying Mariana, I said, I'm selling marijuana subs. <laughs> And uh, thankfully, I had good enough neighbors that they knew that's not what I was actually selling, and they, they handled it really well. But in all reality, if we have not been intentional, or if our neighbors have not been intentional with us, as we maybe have grown older, or even the, the kids today, maybe we don't have neighborhood experiences that are so memorable. Maybe we don't have many relationships with our neighbors. See, it could be for a lot of reasons. We have to ask the question, why 
Why is it? It could be a lot of reasons, but one of the main ones, I think, is that, that we live in a culture um, of fear and suspicion, right? People are out to get us. People are trying to take us out. And part of it is due to the fact that we have this, this uh, device in our pockets, and there's a 24-hour news cycle that we can click on at any moment to hear the worst stories that you could ever want to hear going on around our world. We hear story after story after story about how messed up and broken the world is that we live in. And the problem is when we are continually exposed to these types of stories, there is a shift that takes place in our hearts and how we view the people around us. See, we've been conditioned to be afraid of our neighbors, and they've been conditioned to be afraid of you. If you think that you're freaked out by your neighbors, they're probably really freaked out by you. See, sometimes we can get the wrong impression, though. We can think, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, it's happened to me, I think I just have a grumpy uh, person that I've encountered, and then I hear what's going on in their lives, I'm like, oh, they're not mean, they're just hurting. Or sometimes there may be a neighbor whose house looks like it's falling apart and you're annoyed because it's making your street look bad, but maybe they're going through something tragic in their lives. Maybe it's more than what you can see. And so we have to ask ourselves this question when it comes to our fear, when it comes to our discomfort. Are there more messed up people in the world today? Are there more sick people in the world today than in years past? Or is our awareness of people's brokenness higher because of our ability to see the news, to carry the news and the bad stories from all over the world, not just our communities. See, on one, on one hand, fear isn't bad. I'm glad that like, I'm afraid to be approached by a bear or I'm afraid to walk in front of a moving car. That's good, that can save me from danger and unhealthy situations. But on the other hand, our fear can be very unwarranted. And it can keep us, it can be an obstacle to obeying the great commandment. Fears can lead us to stay comfortable. And so just like we have to wrestle with our time, we have to wrestle with our discomfort. We have to wrestle with our fears and say, God, how can I be a good neighbor? How can I move past this discomfort and be a good neighbor? It's important to use caution. It's important to be discerning. But at the end of the day, following Jesus wasn't designed to be safe. It wasn't designed to be comfortable. And when we prioritize safety, when we prioritize comfort, it can keep us from being like Jesus in a world like ours. The truth is, when it comes to our neighbors, enduring awkwardness is probably the worst of what we're going to (laughs) face. That's probably it. And as I have begun to take steps to make the great commandment the way I live my life, interpreting this literally with my neighbors, I made the decision after six months of living across the street from someone I'd never met that it was time for me to suck up my pride, swallow my pride, I guess I should say, swallow my pride, suck it up, and walk across the street and introduce myself. So... I made some homemade Christmas trail mix for the very first time in my life, walked over, knocked on the door to my neighbor's house and said, hey, I know we haven't gotten to meet yet, but my name's Steph, and I just wanted to introduce myself and say Merry Christmas, and I handed them the trail mix. And they may have thrown my trail mix in the trash, I'm not sure, but that day I got to learn my neighbor's name. And to love someone, it helps 
to know their name. See, the good Samaritan chose to forsake all comfort to care for an enemy. Jesus willingly chose to lay down his life to be uncomfortable, but he also chose to lay down his comfort to be intentional and present with others. And in Luke 19, I want to share a story with you that we see Jesus. He's entering and making his way through a town called Jericho. And in this town, there was a chief tax collector who was there, whom the people despised. His name was Zacchaeus. He was known for ripping people off left and right, for getting rich at the expense of other people. He was like the boss, the boss of the crooks. He was the chief tax collector. So everyone hated him even more. But Zacchaeus was seeking after Jesus on this day in history. Seeking after Jesus, even if the people around him didn't know it. But he was so short that he couldn't see Jesus. And so he did what would normally be beneath the dignity of any rich, wealthy man. He climbed in a tree so that he could see this Jesus. And in Luke 19, verse 5, it says this. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. See, Jesus knew the importance of a person's name. And he low-key invited himself over, but he's allowed because he's Jesus. And that's not the point of the story. Jesus didn't want to just preach to Zacchaeus. He didn't want to just convert him. He wanted to have real relationship with Zacchaeus. He initiated relationship. He initiated the opportunity to have a meal and to spend time together. In verse 6, it says, Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. See, despite the criticism, despite the fact that it was completely against the cultural norm of the day, Jesus chose an initiated relationship with an outcast, and he entered his home. See, Zacchaeus didn't realize that he needed a good neighbor that day. But he did come to realize in his very own home that he needed a savior, that he needed God. He was transformed through relationship in his very own home. And verse 9 says this, that Jesus responded to his repentance and said, Salvation has come to this home today. See, by initiating relationship, by us being faithful to the people that God has placed around us and going against what's normal in our culture, I believe that we too will have moments where we get to say, salvation came to this home today. Salvation came here. Thank you, God. God is already working in your neighborhood and in my neighborhood. And when we develop real relationships with real people, with our neighbors, this fear and this discomfort is going to be replaced by a love and a trust for those God has placed nearest to us. See, we haven't talked about an evangelism strategy today, have we? God said, do this, love God and love your neighbor. He didn't say love your neighbor if they listen when you talk about me. He said, love your neighbor regardless of their response. And when we are in relationship with other people, we share the things that we love. We share the things that we care about. So if we are pursuing the great commandment, 
If we are loving God and loving our neighbor, Jesus is going to come up in conversation, naturally and organically, because we are sharing who we are. We are sharing how he's worked in our lives, and we will see disciples made. But ultimately, we have to remember, we are not responsible for people. We are responsible to them. We are responsible to people. We are not responsible for their decisions, for their outcomes, for their feelings, but we are responsible to them, to love them, to pray for them, to serve them, to encourage them. And God has purposefully placed us here, where we are, in our neighborhoods to do just that. See, I started going through the art of neighboring with a group of leaders in our church back in November, and it was so good for me. It was so good for these, uh, these people in our church. And we got to see God work and just be surprised, by the way, that he works when we just follow the great commandment. And I want to share a story with you from one of those leaders. And I'm, I'm about to close. And as I do, just do me a favor. Don't leave. Don't log off early today. Um, I get to share with you how we get to put this into practice. What we as a church are going to do to live out the great commandment. So I, I would love for you to hear it and be a part of it. But this is the neighboring story that I want to share with you. And I've changed the names just for the record. I made his name Average Joe. So you will see that in the story. It says... The day of the big snowfall, everyone was out shoveling, and I went out, and the neighborhood outcast was outside named Joe. He's a little odd, and no one really has anything nice to say about him. But I made it a point to talk to him, and we talked about how much snow we used to get when we were kids, the snow forts that we used to build. We talked for several minutes, and then my husband came out. He was going to give me a ride to work because he didn't want me driving on the roads that day. So I went in to get my purse, and when I came out, my husband was talking to Joe, too. I never cleaned off my car because I knew I wouldn't be using it. But after work, when I got home, I noticed my car was completely cleaned off. I thanked my husband, assuming he had done it, and he said it wasn't him. He smiled and showed me a video from our security system. It was Joe that had done it. And a few days later, Joe needed to jump his car and came to me for help. And I got to return the favor. See, I don't know about you, but I don't want to turn Jesus great commandment, his most important words, into a catchy saying, into a metaphoric love. I don't want this just to be about small acts of kindness either. This is about living in obedience and trusting God at his word. And if I'm going to do one thing right, I want it to be the great commandment. I want to live it out so intentionally that only God can do what he does, that only God, I can see how he works. And I want to trust him at his word. And while we are definitely not the savior, we are simply sharing his love. There is, a, there is a sense of urgency when it comes to living out the great commandment. There's another story from the group that's shared that says this. It says, I'm saddened by something I learned today. This was just a few days ago. I'm saddened by something I learned today. The neighbors in the apartment next door have split up and are moving out. It goes to show we don't always know the hurts and needs until we get to know our neighbors in a real and meaningful way. I must do better. See, the truth is people are hurting, that our days are numbered, that we don't have forever. There is a sense of urgency, but this is the best way to live. Psalm 90 verse 20 says, teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. 
There are people around you and I who may never attend Summit Church, who may never attend any church for that matter, but God has purposefully placed us near them. He has strategically put you and I closest to them. They need a good neighbor. They need you and I to trust him with his greatest words. It's not even about getting them to church. It's about being the church. And if I can do one thing well, I want to do what Jesus says is most important. God is inviting us to love the way that he loves. But in order to love like him, we need to know him. We need to be in relationship with him. And so I want to give you the opportunity today, if you have never received him as Lord, you can today. It's through relationship with him that we are transformed by his power, by his spirit. We can trust God, every word that he says. And I think we'll find that what our communities really need, what our country really needs is people who are committed to living out his words, to living out what he says is the most important thing. So pray with me. God, I thank you so much that you speak to us, that you give us your word. God, that you make it clear. And we are sorry for the times that we have thought that we knew better or that we have been selfish, that we have interpreted this as easily as we can, that we have chosen safety, that we have chosen comfort over taking up our cross, over trusting you at your word. God, work in us, minister in us, so that we can be the people you're calling us to be, so that our communities can be the places that you intended for them to be. Your plans for us have always been good, have always been for us to live, to know you. So work in us today, God. We trust you. We trust you today. God, there are people here who don't know you, who are watching online, who have never trusted you, surrendered their lives to you. I pray that you would work in them today, that you would speak to them right now, minister in them. See, just like Zacchaeus, God initiates relationship with you. He invites you to know him personally. He knows you by name. And just like the woman with the issue of blood, he is intentionally present with you. And he sees you and he sees your need today. Scripture says that all have sinned and fall short of God's standard, that the wages of sin is death, but he has given us the free gift of God. It's eternal life through Christ our Lord. See, the cost of what it would take for God to be in relationship with you and I is something that we could not pay. It's a debt that we could not pay. It was a perfect and holy sacrifice is what it would cost. And Jesus came to do just that. He was crushed by the weight of our sins so that we could have life so that we could know the Father. So maybe you're here today, and as our heads are bowed, as our eyes are closed, maybe you're here and you say, Steph, I've realized that I don't know or trust God. I haven't surrendered my life to him as Lord. He's initiated a relationship with me, but I haven't received him. I haven't welcomed him in, but I want to today, and I know that I need to today. And if that's you today, I'd love to pray with you right where you are. I don't want to make you come forward or embarrass you or anything. I just want to pray with you where you're at today. So if that's you, you say, I need to receive him as Lord today. I need to surrender it all. Would you just slip up your hand so I can know who I'm praying for? Thank you. I see you in the back. Yeah, I 
See you on the right. Anyone else say, I need to surrender it all today. Awesome. Well, Scripture says that if we confess with our mouth and we believe in our hearts, that we will be saved. And so I want everyone in the room to pray this prayer with me. If you're watching online, pray this with me right now. Jesus, thank you for initiating relationship with me. I receive you today. I surrender to you as Lord. Thank you for paying a debt that I could not pay. Thank you for giving me life that I do not deserve. I love you and I trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we praise God for what he's done today? Yeah. I'm super excited for you. If you made that decision today, I'm so proud of you. This is the best decision that you could ever make in your life. And I'm excited that we can walk and we can journey with you. So if you would do me a favor, if you've made that decision today, whether you're here in the room, whether you raised your hand or not, or you're watching online, what you can do is text the word different to the number 94,000 and we will follow up with you. We will connect with you so that we can give you resources so that we can help walk with you on this journey. If you're in the room, you can also fill out the card that says salvation in the seat back behind you and put it in the offering boxes as you go or online at live.summitpa.church. You can respond and uh, receive salvation in that way that is mentioned there. But I am so grateful, even though it's hard, even though it's uncomfortable, I'm so grateful for what God has shown us today. And you know, Pastor Mel said last week that we want to neighbor better than ever before. We want to neighbor better in 2021 than ever before. And so I am excited to tell you what we're going to be doing and how you can be a part of that. See, I told you that I had gone through the art of neighboring with a group of leaders in the church. And the purpose for that was so that we could have small groups ready for you to join. As of today, right now, the groups are open as we go through this book, The Art of Neighboring. It's a six-week small group that you can be a part of. We've got online, we've got in-person, we've got hybrid groups. So even if you're watching online, you're a part of this as well. You can join us as well. Um, but the groups will begin meeting the last week of January, January 24th. Um, and so we would love for you to prepare for that, to sign up for that. You can do that at groups.summitpa.church. You can do that on the Church Center app. Um, many ways that you can do that. But I am excited about, there's, there's an encouragement piece and accountability and relationship that you will find through this group that I think it will be good for your soul too, just like it was for mine. And the truth is, you can buy the book. You can just read the book on your own. But I strongly, strongly, strongly encourage you to do it with a group, to be sharpened by the people around you, to be um, encouraged by the stories that you'll get to hear of how other people are choosing to neighbor. Uh, but in the meantime, we've got three steps that you can take before January 24th, before the groups start. The first is this. I encourage you to do this. First is learn a neighbor's name that you haven't met yet. Just learn their name and write it down so you don't forget it. <laughs> the second is take a walk in your neighborhood or take a drive in your neighborhood and begin to pray for your neighbors. Begin to bless your neighbors. And third is this, ask God to help you, to show you 
that an inconvenience is an opportunity and, and give you the ability to be present. So those are the ways that we can um, just trust God and take steps today. Um, but I'm excited about what he's going to do. I can't wait to hear the stories and see what God does and see how you're amazed by God too and what it's like to trust him at his word, to trust the great commandment. And so what I'm going to do now is I'm going to pray one final blessing over you. And as I do, the prayer team is going to come forward. Um, some of our staff are going to come forward. And if you have anything that you need prayer for at all, we are up here for you. We want to pray with you. If you're watching online, you can pray with a host right now. Simply click live prayer and we have hosts that are ready and available to pray with you. But guys, I'm going to pray and then I'll let you go. Thank you so much, God, that you are here. God, that you have met us here today, that you are faithful to speak to us, that you are the one who came first to neighbor with us, God. We, we trust you at your words today. We ask, God, in advance that you would go before everyone who chooses to actually live out your great commandment, to live it out with the neighbors that live close to us. Give us divine interactions, God. Let us lay down our comfort. Let us lay down our time and say, we will serve you. We will trust you. God, as we take next steps, give us the confidence, God. Empower us in a new way to be present, to trust you. God, to see these in inconveniences and interruptions as opportunities, God. Help us love our world in a radical, selfless way like you have done so for us. God, bless those who are hearing this word today. And let us see communities that are transformed. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, as I said, you can come forward for prayer if you need it. But I love you guys. I'm so excited that I got to be with you today. And I hope that you have a great week. We'll see you next week.